0: My name is Nate Phillips, and I am the champion of JIW. After our debut episode of season four took the world by storm, the high—yeah, that's right—the highest-rated premiere in JICN history, and it's all because of me and this is my confidant the man closest to me hit him with a little bit of that bubbly buckles check us out on journey into wrestling where the podfather and i run down everything from the bingo halls to the brightest delights if it's in between the ropes it's on journey into wrestling every other wednesday on the journey into comics network the following and the following, the following, following is a journey, into journey into comics journey into comics journey, comic. journey into comics journey into comics network 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 network, network. production production Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode 42 of Poor 360. As always, I am your host, Andrew Point. Thank you for joining me here on this cool fall day. We are quickly approaching the end of October. Halloween is just on the horizon. And as you're listening to this, yeah, it will be about two days away. And as I've talked about before and on different shows and stuff... Uh, There's certain things people do that I just don't quite get. And one of those things, which is not going to be the main focus of this show, I just thought I would bring it up, because it is that time of year. I still don't quite understand people's obsession with Halloween. Some people seem to celebrate it starting as soon as the weather gets a hint cold. Like, as soon as basically they put the swimsuit away, they pull the Halloween decor, the look, the style, all of that out and just get in that spirit. I don't quite understand it to be totally honest there's people who've been doing these like halloween horror nights and like disney and dressing up and putting all the decor out it's just if it's warm i don't want to think about it And i just remember like going through like home improvement stores like menards or home depot and seeing halloween decorations since august and then now i see halloween decorations and christmas decorations and some thanksgiving stuff thrown in the mix and it's Still just October. I just, I don't understand it. I, like, if that's what you like, great, but just be that way year-round. Don't just choose to spend August, September, October, November dressed like it's Halloween. Or decorating like it's Halloween. I get it, but just be that all the time or just, like, I'm fine with it October 1st, October 31st. Be as festive towards Halloween as you want. I don't want to see it in September or August or November. Just same way I feel about. I don't feel like getting the Christmas spirit until Thanksgiving is over with. December first, the better, and by January one, kind of pack all that up and move on with the new year. That's just that's just my two cents. I know people may disagree, but I kind of wanted to just to vent a little about that because there's people have been dressing and talking about it and going to all these little gatherings, and so I just, I don't I don't get the obsession I mean, especially now that, like, it's always like you can't say, oh, now in October and I can watch all these horror movies, like, you can watch horror movies year-round they release them year-round now, so you don't need an excuse to watch that stuff, so but I just, I just don't get the style I don't understand if you like Black and you like Spiderwebs webs, will just to do that year-round year-round or just in October just don't don't stretch a holiday just for your own benefit. All right. Well, I think that'll be enough venting for one day. I'm sure I've just alienated a bunch of people who really appreciate that. And I, for that, I apologize. But like my show uses, everyone is, everyone has held to their own opinion. And that was like the whole topic of last week was on fact versus opinion. That is one man's opinion. Someone else could entirely disagree. Like, I have a friend and uh, she had Halloween type stuff up in July. But that's just her style. She's very. The candles and the the lights and the colors and all that. Yeah, just more power to you, but she's like that year round, so the little extra flare isn't doesn't really bother me too much. Alright, let's jump into the show and a lot has happened since last week. Um I we gotta have an order set up because I'm just there's just a bunch of news that I want to discuss. And then get us out of here so we can move on to the to your happy Halloween festivities. I have no idea if there's any Halloween-ishness planned for podcast to on Thursday, but definitely stay tuned for that. I don't know if it's uh, going to be another uh, Tyler and Dave show or if it's another Dick and Tyler or Dick and Dave. I, I don't know. But either way, it should be a fun show. Uh, definitely like what's been coming out of there lately. Um, just like all the other shows on the network, they're all, they're all doing great. Definitely worth checking out. But getting to what, uh, is what I'm kind of gonna move, kind of from uh, from West Coast to to East Coast here, starting with what is going on in California, which is a mess of fires. Um, it seems like every this time of year there's always a fire going on, but where we're going on right now is that there are some fires in Los Angeles as well as throughout California and there's just kind of get some live updates. So I know there's already been evacuations and they've been shut off power and all that. And, but, uh, I just want to jump in with these, uh, two articles about it, including, um, how one building is, um, was designed with wildfires and other natural disasters in mind just to, so that it's uh, a safe and secure structure. So like I said, a dangerous wildfire has uh, that broke out early Monday in Los Angeles, threatening hundreds of homes near the world-famous Getty Center. Strong winds spreading the fast-growing fire that was burning along a major freeway west of downtown. Fire Chief Ralph Tazares told reporters firefighters were overwhelmed. They had to make some tough decisions on which houses they were able to protect. Many times, it depends on where the embers land. In Northern California, improving conditions could help crews gain. Ground on wildfires that have forced tens of thousands of people to evacuate. Sonoma County Sheriff Mark Essex told reporters Monday morning that authorities weren't yet allowed people to re enter areas burned by the so called Kincaid Fire, the state's largest. In Los Angeles, the fire department said the Getty Fire burned over 600 acres. Several neighborhoods were under evacuation orders, and at least eight homes were destroyed, Mayor Eric Garcetti said. A video posted on social media by a showing one side of Highway 405 was turned into a towering inferno. CBS News, reporter, News Correspondent Carter Evans reported fire officials called it a dynamic situation. The flames were being fanned by high winds which seemed to have calmed down a little before dawn, Evans reported. One of the slaves from his home by the several fires burning near Los Angeles was Lakers star LeBron James. He tweeted Monday morning that he had evacuated his home suddenly and was driving around trying to find a place to go with his family. He followed up later saying he finally found a place. Senator Kamala Harris, who as we know is running for president... Uh, in 2020 and is one of the front runners as, as of this point in time, said her family in California has evacuated due to the wildfires. The Getty Fire and the Kincaid Fire were among more than a dozen fires burning in California. Uh, the uh, Kincaid uh, Fire grew to more than 66,000 acres and was only 5% contained as of Monday morning. Uh, two firefighters were injured fighting the blaze. Jonathan Cox of Cal Fire said during a press conference Sunday... One suffered minor burn injuries, but another suffered significant burn injuries and had been airlifted to the UC Davis Medical Center. The fire destroyed 96 structures and damaged 16 structures. That officially, nearly 80,000 structures are threatened. The National Weather Service said there were clearly challenging conditions on fire lines on Sunday. The winds change to shift Monday, and there'll be a 24-hour wind of favorable conditions with really another wind event Tuesday night. And there is no rain expected for the rest of the month. That's really unfortunate. When risk rises. Sunday for possibly looting in the fire zone. Can't imagine choosing to like while there's a wildfire going, go to like break people's homes or businesses and to steal as much stuff as you can. They're like it's going to be burned anyway, might as well take it, which is just unfortunate. Until you end up getting yourself killed. The congressman says no immigration enforcement at shelters. A California congressman said undocumented immigrants should not be afraid to go to wildfire shelters. Congressman Jared Huffman told reporters Monday morning the Department of Homeland Security assured him there wouldn't be any immigration enforcement activity at shelters. Everyone seeking shelter, services or shelter from the immigrant community should do so with comments there will not be immigration enforcement activity, the Democrats said. Firefighter, as firefighters battle the fire, there is an emerging housing crisis in Marin County as thousands of people struggle to find a place to ride out the firestorm. CBS News' Jonathan Viglotti reporters uh, reports at a Red Cross shelter that was set up Sunday morning there was a long line of about 100 people waiting to get in and 200 people had already settled. There are a lot of people with last-minute things that were able to grab before being evacuated, including cats and dogs, a python, and a lizard had been brought inside the shelter. More than 2 million people were without power. A lot of them came to the shelter so they could get cell phone service. Then there are those that are part of a mandatory evacuation, those who have no chance to stay at home, many of them seeking a safe place. CBS News learned has learned at least one more power outage was scheduled for Sunday, and as a result, more shelters would be opening. PG&E monitoring third consecutive wind event. So Pacific Gas and Electric, PG&E, it's monitoring a third consecutive wind event that could affect 32 counties across northern and central California. PG&E began cutting power for more than 2 million homes on businesses this Saturday, including 1.3 million in the Bay Area. The new potential widespread strong and dry wind event is forecast for Tuesday morning through midday Wednesday. For northern California, according to PG&E, the weather system is forecast to... Impact Kern County late Tuesday through Thursday morning due to the predicted extreme weather conditions. PGE and it's considering practically turning off power for safety. Portions of counties that may be impacts include, we're not limited to Alameda, Alpine, Amador, Butte, Calaveras, Colusa, Contra Costa, El Dorado, Glen, Humboldt, Kern, Lake, Marin. Mariposa, Mendocino, Napa, Nevada, Placer, Pluma, San Mantillo, Santa Clara, Santa Cruz, Shasta, Sierra, Solano, Sonoma, Stanislaus, Tejama, Trinity, Tulumne, Yolo, Yuba. And I, the only reason I do this on the show when there's wildfires is that I don't know if any of my listeners out there are in California, are involved in these wildfires, and I just encourage anyone hopefully this isn't you're not getting your news the first time from me but definitely you're in the situation uh um even if you don't think you're threatened if you're experiencing the power edge if you're anything like that definitely listen to the emergency broadcasting system listen to the alerts you're probably getting on your phones i know that's uh, a thing that's been very popular with natural disasters and just get to safety and um definitely uh help us as uh not help us definitely just stay safe as uh as this goes and hopefully uh we all make it i keep wanting to say we uh hopefully you guys all make it through it okay now one building that is uh has not been evacuated uh as you remember from uh months back when uh the um that major cathedral had the fire and um they were evacuating everything that's one that's not happening at the getty museum um, so the J-Polgate Museum in Los Angeles uh, isn't removing any of its art. The artwork in the J-Polgate Museum is considerably safer not being moved. Says so museum spokeswoman Lisa Lappin as thousands evacuated or lost power Monday because of wildfires raging in Southern California, like I said before. That's because the stone, concrete, and steel building has saved the art technology to protect itself. The safest place for art and library collections is inside, the museum said on Twitter. The museum also said that over 600 firefighters were providing air and ground support to contain the fire. The Getty was designed by Arctic Richard Meyer, with disaster situations like these wildfires and earthquakes in mind. Our buildings are stone, concrete, and steel. The rooftops are stone to prevent embers from landing and igniting. She said the galleries on the museum's campus are double-enclosed, meaning there are buildings inside buildings with thick walls. The Getty Museum has a sophisticated airfield system that can reverse direction push air out. This is to keep smoke and ash from getting into the galleries and protects the collection. There's also the million-gallon water tank that allows museums to have to irrigate a large area in case of a fire. We manage the landscapes for fires. We have extensive brush clearance programs and plantings that are more fire-resistant. The Getty Museum opened in 1997 and originated from the expansive art collection of J. Paul Getty, the founder of Getty Oil Company and one of America's richest industrialists. The museum is home to over 125,000 separate objects in the museum collection, Many of them masterpieces, Lapin said. There are an additional 1.4 million volumes in the art library, including medieval manuscripts. Many of the works of art are valid in the many tens of millions, said um, Lapin. Uh, and I understand it's uh, an extensive thing. That's why it's not a common practice to build everything like that. And it's also a certain eclect that some people are avoiding, to. But I'm glad to see that. Um, buildings, at least are things that are irreplaceable, um, have been built in a way to withstand the the changing uh, events of nature. Now, getting out of the fire and into, kind of out of the frying pan into the, or getting out of the fire and back into the frying pan, let's talk about the current president, Donald J. Trump. So... He had actually a big day over uh, the weekend, including, um, not, how wouldn't say he worked straight, but involving the plan put into motion to assassinate ISIS leader Al-Baghdadi? Hagda? I don't know how to pronounce it, and I'm not going to give that guy more sense of my time. So, the event was successful, and then he kind of had a press conference about it, and it didn't go great. So, President Donald Trump painted a vivid picture for a world of the deadly U.S. military raid on ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, a raid that only a small number of people witnessed in real time. A beautiful and talented dog got injured. A robot has been on standby to aid in the hunt for al-Baghdadi. If needed, U.S. Special Operation Forces arrived at eight helicopters and were on the ground for about two hours. They enter al-Baghdadi's compound within seconds by blowing holes in the side of the wall. They chased al-Baghdadi Dottie into a web of underground tunnels, many of them dead ends. That they already knew existed before the U.S. forces left for the 70-minute very low and very, very fast helicopter ride back along the same route from which they arrived, they captured some of al-Baghdadi's henchmen and seized highly sensitive material and information, aligning the origin of ISIS and plans for future plots. A few of those covered details were wrong. Many of the rest were either highly classified or tactically sensitive. And the disclosure by the president made intelligence and military officials cringe according to current and former U.S. officials. The al-Baghdadi raid is the most high-profile exhibit of a reality U.S. officials have had to contend with since Trump took office. A president with a background in show business who relishes delivering a compelling narrative and deals daily with the kinds of covert life-and-death sets of facts that inspire movie scripts. The president, as the ultimate authority on classification, can declassify any piece of government information simply by releasing it publicly. And some top U.S. officials, including the then-President Barack Obama, who signed a law to reduce the amount of classified material, have lamented the government tendency to overclassify information. But current and former Senator, our senior U.S. officials said from the earliest days of his presidency that, that Trump consistently wants to make public more than his advisors think is legally sound or wise for U.S. national security. We agonized over what would be put in his briefings, one former senior White House official said, because who knows if and when he's going to say something about it. He has no filter, the official added. But also, if he knows something and he thinks it's going to be good or say to make him appear smarter or stronger, he'll just blurt it out. Money Trump declassified a photo of the dog, revealing a breed, revealing its breed, which was classified, but the dog's name remains top secret. Injuries about the dog flooded in after Trump disclosed the canine was hurt when he went into the tunnel. Trump also said Money that he's considering releasing footage of the al-Baghdadi raid, General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, told reporters that the military is working on declassifying some images. We have videos and photos, uh, Milley said, or Miley, I don't know how it's pronounced. Um, and Trump tweeted out, we have declassified a picture of the wonderful dog, name not declassified, that did such a great job in capturing and killing the leader of ISIS, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Pretty dog, nice uh, German shepherd-looking breed in his tactical vest, but did we need to see it? I mean, I'm always up for a good dog picture, but I really don't think it was necessary to... uh, about a dog that got injured, but it is what it is. So a couple of president statements on Sunday were inaccurate or left, U.S. officials wondering where he got his information. Officials said the president said when U.S. officials notified Russia it would be entering airspace in western Syria, they told the Russians, we think you're going to be very happy. The phrase was not said on the call about the Russians. A U.S. official said... Trump also said al-Baghdadi was crying and screaming as U.S. forces chased him down. Bush officials said they didn't hear those sounds and Milley told reporters he doesn't know the source of the president's information on that. The overarching concern about Trump's disclosure on the al-Baghdadi raid official said that it gave America's enemies details that could make intelligence gathering and similar military operations more difficult and more dangerous to pull off. Revealing that the U.S. possessed documents about the future ISIS plans hurt the military's ability to use that information for quick follow-up follow-on operations, officials said. The president's disclosure that the U.S. had taken ISIS fighters from the compound complicated efforts to try to keep ISIS from knowing who is alive or dead for as long as possible while they interrogate them, officials said. Some of the president's comments could complicate the intelligence gathering that leads to such raids because they revealed sources and methods the U.S. uses, officials said. They pointed to us saying that the U.S. knew of all Baghdadi's whereabouts via technology, and also knew of the underground tunnel at his compound, which suggests that U.S. had infrared abilities to locate caves and tunnels. We knew it had tunnels. The tunnels were dead from, were a dead end for the most part. That was one we think that wasn't. But we had that covered too, just in case, Trump said. Other information Trump discussed provided America's enemies with tactical details on how the military carries out a raid like the one on al-Baghdadi, which so said including the robot, the helicopter flight, patterns, now U.S. forces entered the compound. Some of the information, while not overly damaging, is just more than the military would like disclosed, officials said. Such so that the Al Badri had a lot of cash, and the president saying he was able to move, able to view the raid remotely as though you were watching a movie. Officials said the first major battle over disclosing details of military operations was in 2017, when Trump ordered an airstrike on areas controlled by the Assad regime in Syria. The arguments against disclosure are usually based on concerns about revealing sources and methods. Or the idea that the more the president releases publicly, the weaker his argument about exerting executive privilege becomes. Sometimes he overrules them, while other times he simply says things publicly they weren't expected him to disclose. Trump has since pushed the boundaries on a myriad of topics, officials said, and they don't expect that to be curtailed. He talked publicly about deploying a nuclear submarine in Asia, and more recently about nuclear weapons the U.S. never acknowledges it keeps in Turkey. Early in this presidency, Trump's disclosure of civic intelligence to Russian officials raised alarms among administration officials. After Trump wrote on Twitter in August, the U.S. was learning a lot about a mysterious explosion in Russia. The senior administration official told NBC News an aide would have informed him his disclosure risked revealing sources and methods. The White House did not immediately respond to a request for comment. So it does seem very uh, interesting. I understand... Uh, when you have something like this, which is a very kind of juicy bit of information, you want to share it, you want the praise back. And I think that's a lot of what's happening here. The same reason the Trump says the certain th- things he does at his rallies is just to get that praise and that acceptance back. When he can say a simple thing like, we did this, oh wow, that's amazing. He just reflects back on him, and I think that's where a lot of this comes from. And... You kind of want a taste of what we saw with Obama when Bin Laden... Bin Laden? What the hell am I saying? It's been a long day. (laughs) When Bin Laden um, was captured, assassinated, and all of that. Um, And there were people uh, praising and waving the flag outside the White House. I think that's kind of what Trump wanted. He wanted that kind of reaction. And he didn't quite get it. And even worse... Later that night when he went to the World Series game for Game 5, he actually got booed, which kind of is the next thing here. So, um, it's common, it's been going on for a long time, about uh, the President throwing out a pitch uh, in baseball. And we actually saw that on Sunday night, uh, President Donald Trump went to the World Series in Washington, and he didn't throw out the pitch, he was just there in attendance, um, and he actually got booed loudly, and was subject to people doing the "lock him up" chant. Um, this thing was celebrated on Twitter. I remember that's how I first knew about this. I was I was looking on my phone, and I I just saw that so many people on Twitter had uh, retweeted videos of Trump getting introduced over the by the announcer, and then people, some people cheering, and a lot of people booing. I didn't hear the lock him up. I wasn't... I didn't... It was to me those the, a lot of them were just the same video. And you can just you see him smiling. Kind of the smile kind of drop. And that that was kind of it there. Um, so this thing was celebrated on Twitter and, made, and by liberals nationwide. He got his own taste... He got a taste of his own medicine. Now he knows how people really feel about him. Which is all true. Trump very rarely appears in public in anything other than a campaign rally and official offense. In both of those situations, he is lauded. There are just a few occasions that maybe when his motorcade passes protesters... Where Trump comes face-to-face, or close, with people who really, really don't approve of how he's handling his job. But what the booing and chants on Sunday proved isn't that lots of people don't like Trump. We already knew that. What it proved is just how much he has changed, not just politics, but public discourse more broadly. Moving the goalposts would be knocking them down entirely on what is acceptable behavior. I have a hard time with the idea of a crowd on a globally televised sporting event chanting, Lock him up, about our president. To Delaware Senator Chris Coons, a Democrat, on CNN's New Day uh, Monday morning. I that the office of president deserves respect even when the actions of our president at times don't. And I, I agree. I think, um, though he does, and see this at his own rallies and stuff, I think the office of the presidency, regardless of who holds it, deserves respect. And though I disagree with a lot of what's happening, I do think the office as a whole should be respected. Which is why usually when I say something negative of the president, I usually don't refer to him as the president. I usually refer to him as Donald Trump or just Trump. And I probably should do better about that because the office does... It kind of just needs to be uh, a thing that is respected. So whether or not you agree uh, with me or with um, the senator, and I know many people definitely don't, uh, the sentiment he expresses is the worth exploring. When Trump tried to do in the 2016 election and as president, is fundamentally all to the way in which we think of the office of the presidency. His campaign was premised on the idea that all these stuffed-shirt politicians acting so very proper were all just a bunch of phonies. All they're really doing was feathering their own nests and ignoring what people really wanted. It turned the very day of being presidential into a joke. At a 2018 rally in Florida, Trump claimed, Anybody can act presidential, walking foe stiffly and intoning in a mock serious voice ladies and gentlemen of the state of Florida thank you very much for me being here I will leave now because I am boring you to death being presidential in Trump's mind was what had turned the US into a country that the rest of the world was taking advantage of and mocking behind our backs and sometimes right in front of our faces all these politicians were so worried about about acting nice and right that they didn't fight for the public and when Trump was coming to change all that it was and is under the idea that Trump and his supporters had justified his words, his tweets, and his actions over the past four years. His Boris his is bullying, his know-nothingness, his unpredictability, all of it. So when a crowded baseball game boos the president and chants lock him up, it is less of we are going to show him what's what moment than, a, than it is an accidental acknowledgement of how radical Trump has changed the way in which we think of presidents and how they should both act and be treated. For some people that's probably just fine. They'll argue that the only way to fight fires with fire, that the only thing Trump understands is force and power and so to really make an impact on him and his voters, you have to prove that you're willing to do and say whatever it takes. Maybe until we see whether Trump gets reelected next year, it's impossible to know what the best way to beat him is. But we do know that from the 2016 campaign that when other candidates tried to get down in the mud with Trump it didn't work. Take Florida Senator Marco Rubio, for a few days in the spring of 2016, Rubin made it the clear calculation that he would try to out-Trump Trump. Rubin suggested that Trump's reportedly small hands were a sign of a, a smallness in other parts of the president, which led to the, the famous infamous line from the Trump during a Republican debate. I have to say this. He hit my hands. Nobody ever hit my hands. I've never heard of this one. Look at those hands. Are they small hands? And referred to my hands if they're small. Something else must be small. I guarantee you there's no problem. I guarantee you. Rubio eventually apologized for his contact. Trump didn't. Rubio lost. Trump won. The point is that getting in the mud with a pig rarely works in politics or life. The pig enjoys it and you get muddy as the saying goes. And more broadly, even if Trump... Giving Trump a taste of his own medicine not only makes you feel better, but also the only way to beat him, there are consequences to accepting and internalizing the lowered standards he has pushed into our public sphere. Even if Trump loses in 2020 by but doing so in a, a campaign in a culture that is mainstreamed his brand of bullying and boorish behavior, he won a sort of victory, and one likely to last well beyond another four-year term. And then Trump came to Chicago, which I didn't even know he was here. I live not too far from Chicago, and I had no idea he was here. So in his first visit as president to the nation's third largest city, Mr. Trump called Chicago's police superintendent's values a disgrace. He's not welcome in our city, said Pam Caparo, 65, as she walked along the Chicago River to join a chanting, singing, sign-waving, occasionally sousaphone-playing crowd outside the Trump International Hotel and Tower. He represents everything that Chicago isn't. Racism, sexism, xenophobia. She flicked her hand dismissively in the direction of the trump building where the president's name is emblazoned in jumbo letters on one of its glassy side why is that even here well it, it's there because well before he was president he made a hotel and structures and towers and all of that so yeah that's that's why it's there it's not just because you don't like him as president doesn't mean he can't build buildings with his money on Monday, President Trump arrived in Chicago for the first visit of his presidency, delivering a speech to a conference of police chiefs that denounced the city in biting and personal terms. He called the values of Chicago's police superintendent Eddie Johnson, who has pointedly skipped the President's address a disgrace. He criticized the city's open stance towards immigrants. He said Chicago's notorious around the globe for its violence. It's embarrassing to us as a nation, Mr. Trump said. All over the world they're talking about Chicago. In Chicago, where Mr. Trump won less than thirteen percent of the vote in twenty sixteen, Residents responded with equal contempt, gathering by the thousands outside his curvy skyscraper on the river downtown, where he later attended a private fundraiser. Protesters hoisted rainbow-colored letters spelling RESIST, with the f- famous corn shaped Marina City Tower standing in the background. Some attendants wore were red, the color representing Charles' public school teachers who had been on strike for eight days in a dispute with the city administrations. One hel- man held a small sign to his chest that simply read, Go away! That's the kind of protester I like. Just there, little, all you need, go away. The police shut down entire blocks of Upper Wacker Drive, one of downtown's major thoroughfares leaving the Loop unusually choked with traffic. Marsha Durbin, a registered nurse who lives in Indiana and wore a Trump t-shirt, said she was determined to defend the president's name in the face of an overwhelming liberal crowd. I think he's doing a great job, she said. We should have globalism without, we would have globalism without him, and thank God he's here addressing the violence problem. You live in Indiana. You don't have room to talk. But for many Chicagoans, the gathering had a cathartic, festive feel with a brass band playing, children dancing, and many in the crowd chanting in praise of their city. What city protects democracy? Chicago. Ian Wallace, 30-year-old, stay-at-home parent from the Old Town neighborhood whose children attend public elementary school, said he was drawn to the protest to stand against Mr. Trump, his policies, and his frequent attacks on Chicago. We wanted to show our disappointment with him, Mr. Wallace said, beside three of his children. There's a lot of negative things you hear about Chicago, and it's almost always from someone who doesn't live here. We love our city. Mr. Trump in recent weeks has been showing up in places where he is unpopular, including the San Francisco Bay Area and Minneapolis. And his brief day trip to Chicago on Monday, he mostly avoided its residents in favor of out-of-town conference attendees. Last week, Mr. Johnson, the superintendent, said he did not plan to attend Mr. Trump's speech to police leaders because it doesn't line up with our city's core values along with my personal values. I can't in good conscience stand by while radical insults and hatred are cast from the Oval Office or Chicago is held hostage because of our views on new Americans, he said in a statement. Speaking of the International Association of Chiefs of Police, Mr. Trump questioned Mr. Johnson's values and said he protected illegal immigrants in a violent city. Here's a man that cannot not bother show up for a meeting of police chiefs that most, the most respected people in this country in his hometown and with the President of the United States, Mr. Trump said. And you know why? It's because he's not doing his job. Wow. Uh, Mr. Johnson called a news conference to rebuke Mr. Trump, pointing out that homicides and shootings have seen double-digit percentage declines in recent years. Chicago has more murders than Los Angeles and New York does, but has significantly fewer than it did in 2016, when there were 762 murders in the city. Today, the same police officer that President criticized for their inability to protect the city spent all day protecting him, Mr. Johnson. Mayor Lori Lightfoot chimed on Twitter, rather than belittle Chicago's communities with hateful and dishonest rhetoric, he needs to go back to D.C. and face his fate. Mr. Trump has frequently criticized Chicago and its crime rates, but he has voided the city since being, re-elect- or being elected. In March 2016, he planned to rally in the city, but facing heavy protests, canceled it just before it was scheduled to begin. So, and even though his lawyer had said that he needs to return to D.C. and face his fate, that's where we're going next, and that involves another thing that happened on Monday. The Democrats moving towards next phase of impeachment inquiry with key vote. The House moving forward the next phase of its impeachment inquiry, setting up a vote later this week on procedures that could quickly lead to President Donald Trump becoming the third president in U.S. history to be impeached. House Week will announce Monday that the House would vote on Thursday to formalize the procedures of the impeachment inquiry into Trump and Ukraine, and what will be the first time the House will go on the record on the proceedings. The vote signals a move to, into the next stage of the investigation following several weeks of closed-door depositions. As Democrats said, the resolution would establish rules for public hearings, provide due process rights for the White House, and allow information be transferred to the committee that would ultimately consider the articles of impeachment. House Democrats are discussing the time frame that would include public impeachment hearings before Thanksgiving, and votes on whether to impeach Trump by Christmas according to multiple Democratic sources, but close did not put a time frame on it at a closed-door leadership meeting on Monday to discuss the resolution that she had been hesitant to do so, as the timing is subject to change depending on how witness cooperates or if additional leads come up, according to multiple Democrats. So the working theory among Democrats is there will be another week or two of closed depositions and that public hearings before the House Intelligence Committee could begin as soon as the second week in November when Congress returns from a one-week recess. House Judiciary Chairman Jerry Nadler told CNN on Monday that it's possible a vote could be held in his committee on articles of impeachment before Christmas. My preference is to do it right, the New York Democrats said, adding that the panel would have to get reports from the other committees first. The Judiciary Committee also may hold its own public hearings before voting on articles of impeachment, but it hasn't been decided yet. Democrats say Thursday's vote is not a formal authorization of the impeachment inquiry, but it nevertheless signals that they are pushing forward with the investigation... Despite resistance from a several witnesses inside the administration to appearing for testimony, the decision to hold a vote comes after pressure from Republicans in the White House that the chamber should do so. It undercuts the key Trump administration talking points that the inquiry was illegitimate because it did not receive a full House vote. At the same time, Thursday's vote could put Democrats from republican leading districts in a difficult position politically. Pelosi and the Democratic leaders have considered and decided against holding a formal vote to authorize. An Inquiry early this month, in part due to concerns expressed by moderates in their caucus. Pelosi said in a letter to lawmakers Monday that the House would move forward with a vote on procedures to limit any doubt as to whether Trump administration may withhold documents, prevent witness testimony, discard duly authorized subpoenas, or continue to obstruct the House of Representatives. Democratic sources said the resolution was necessary to set forth the exact procedures to transfer evidence from the House Intelligence Committee to the House Judiciary Committee detail detailed the procedure from, for holding public hearings to the impeachment inquiry. One key detail that will be voted on this week, House Intelligence Chairman Adam Schiff wants to allow staff members to also participate in the questioning, according to multiple sources. Multiple sources said the resolution that this week surprised even top members and those in leadership who are unaware of these plans. It's not officially a vote to authorize the inquiry, the Democratic source said, although they will argue that the White House will have no grounds to resist their subpoenas after this vote established the procedures as they head into the next steps. Still Pelosi had previously said that she didn't need to hold a vote on the impeachment inquiry at all, calling it a Republican talking point. There's no inquiry that we have had a vote so as this time we will have we will not have would not be having a vote and I'm very pleased with the thoughtfulness of our caucus with the path that we are on Pelosi said on the October 15th we're not here to call bluffs. We're here to find the, the truth to uphold the Constitution of the United States. Yeah, there's a, uh, a lot more discussed discuss here, but it looks like um, by next week's episode, we'll have a lot more information to talk about regarding this vote, the state of the impeachment inquiry, and kind of where we go from here. But it looks like we'll be going into the new year, maybe in the phase of an impeachment trial and proceedings, but that is too soon to be determined at this point in time now we've covered a lot on this week's poor 360 it's kind of been a bit over the place but it's definitely been all about the US and what's going on there so as like as just a recap we talked about Halloween we talked about the wildfires in California we talked about the the raid um, for the the Isis leader. About Trump getting booed at a World Series game. We talked about the impeachment inquiry, and we talked about a few other things along the way. But I think that's a good way to end it for this week's Poor 360. I'm Andrew Poor, and you guys have a great week.